0: Welcome back to Another Impact Tonight at Impact to Education Leadership. This up episode ninety-four. He hosts ID3 for us as our third. Our panelist tonight is the lovely Miss Nina Taylor. Nina Taylor, please say hello to the people.
1: Hello, everyone. So happy to be with you tonight.
0: Tonight's topic is going to start a movement. Topic is: huh. Are you attending an HBCU next year? The Freedmen's Bureau of 1865 through 72 during the Reconstruction period after the American Civil War, which was considered the bloodiest war in American history, popular name from the U.S. Bureau of Refugees, freedmen and abandoned lands established by Congress to provide practical aid to nearly 4 million newly free African Americans. In their transition from slavery to freedom. It was headed up by Major General Oliver O. Howard. The Freedmen's Bureau might be termed the first federal welfare agency. Despite handicaps and inadequate funding and poorly trained personnel, this bureau built hospitals, they built schools, they built food banks, to supply food to the many African Americans that were displaced after the Civil War. Okay? Now his greatest accomplishment was education. More than 1,000 black schools were built and over 400,000 was spent on establishing teacher training institutions and courses. Among those special projects was the Historically Black Colleges and Universities. What are Historically Black Colleges and Universities? Well, HBCUs shortly. And when were they established? Well, first let's say, they were established prior to 1964 with the principal mission of educating Black Americans. However, among the first Black Colleges and Universities that received aid from the Bureau were Atlanta's own Atlanta University. Clark, and Atlanta University. Now, listen, tonight, we're going to have a discussion, and we're going to form a movement, we're going to start a movement, and we're going to talk about these institutions, how they were founded and developed in these different environments, and how they fought against segregation, right? They fought against being displaced, and they fought against being illiterate by providing access to higher education. Not only did they contribute, but they contributed substantially to the progress of black Americans made in improving their status. Now, the researchers are saying right now, the analysis is saying right now, that's why we had to bring me the Taylor on to start this movement. The analysis are projecting these four top HBCUs for 2022. Now, I'm going to just give you a little bit of a uh, but we're gonna talk a little bit about each one as we go on in this this discussion tonight. Well, first on the list: is Spelman College, Howard University, Morehouse College, and Fort Hampton University. So, with that being said, beloved Mister, please tell us a little bit about why. What's the reason why you want to start this move? What's the reason why you want to start this discussion about HBCUs?
1: Well, over the past couple of months on social media, there's been a lot of posting of things that are happening with uh, the HBCUs, things that are happening on campus. A lot of the schools are posting up uh, their pages, and it just looked so exciting to attend a school that has all this wonderful stuff going on. I attended an HBCU, and it's absolutely true. You know, I've been watching step shows and uh, uh, concerts and just so many wonderful things that's happening on these campuses. And then I hear on the news that a lot of them are suffering, and we just don't want that. I mean, these schools have a long history here in America, being started by some, being started by former slaves. Uh, just... The rich history alone is enough to keep it going forever. And I don't want to see any of them close. I don't want to see not one of these schools Closed. Not today, not tomorrow, and not ever. So we want to just create some awareness and tell you a little bit about some of the schools and some of the things that are happening. There's been so many famous people, uh, so many uh, people that are famous in the realm of academics and in uh, NASA, and just so many places that people they just don't know anything about it. They look at these schools. When I told my family that I wanted to attend Central State University in Wilberforce Ohio they said oh that's a party school and I said I got news for you all colleges are party schools okay I said majority of the people in college it is their first time being away from home is their first time being on their own and everybody acts crazy in college, okay? It has nothing to do with the fact that it's an HBCU. I live near the campus of Ohio State University, and nobody acts crazier than them. They tear the campus up after every football or basketball game. There's cars turned over, stuff set on fire. We never did nothing like that. Yes, we had parties on Fridays and Saturday nights, but that is about it. (laughs) that is <laughs> about it for so all this stuff that you hear about historically black colleges you don't hear about anybody blowing up cars and flipping them over and tearing up the campus you don't hear about any of that stuff some of the brightest minds in this country attended an HBCU. you heard it first you
0: heard it first well you know Spelman college is located in atlanta as we like just mentioned uh, Spelman College is a small, private, not for profit institution providing a liberal arts education to women. Spelman is not only one of the best HBCUs in the country, but it was also ranked as the number three school in the students' top schools for inspiration list by the Wall Street Journal. It is an excellent fit for students looking for a small campus and an equally small student-to-faculty ratio of eleven to one. Now I want you to please describe or share with us, or walk with us, or let us walk with you, uh, as you describe to us what it was like having a having black professors as teachers, and with that robust and culturally relevant perspective, as they taught you about education, as they taught you about the different job careers and opportunities that you could go in in those different directions. What was that guidance like? What would that feel like? Share with us, let us walk with you down memory lane, if you will, and, and express to the listening audience what that was like.
1: Our experience usually, and most of the people who attend an HBCU, your experience started before you ever set foot on the campus. Uh, most of these schools have extensive recruiting Processes, uh, where they send people out into the inner cities, they send them out to the high schools, they send them around the country to tell people about their schools. So most of us, I remember when the recruiter from Bethune-Cookman came to our school, Bethune-Cookman College, which is in Florida, I was that was my second choice was to go all the way to Florida. My mother and father were saying, oh, no, you're not. You know, going all the way to Florida to go to school. But it started far beyond uh, before I ever hit the campus. A recruiter normally comes out, and this person is representative of what the school is about. Their job is to come out and tell you about the school and tell you what the benefits are, what the pros, what the cons are. So it started way before you ever hit the campus. Uh, and they say, hey, just come down and check it out. And, and see if you like it, and then we'll take it from there. So, and they work actively with you to make sure that you have all your paperwork in, you go with them through the application process, and a lot of schools don't do that. You're on your own. They don't want to hear anything about you or to you until you actually get there, until you're all paid up. But they actually work with us every step of the way. Through the application process, through registration, to moving on to the campus, everything. And I was in the band, so I got to be there before you know the rest of the students. There was about twelve hundred students uh, in attendance my freshman year, and I was thinking, oh my goodness, you know we had the whole campus so to ourselves because there was just maybe about three or four hundred of us there for the band, and then everybody else came later on. And we were up there months before school started. So they did. That was one thing I really appreciated how they helped us through the entire process of getting into school. Because just like me and so many other people, we didn't know that we could even do it or believe that it would even be possible for us to attend college. And they said, yes, you want to go, we'll make it happen. So that was kind of the first thing that I really, really appreciated about it, when I applied to other schools, I never heard anything from them other than I got something in the mail from them, and they said, this is it, that I need this much money for the application, and that was it. Nobody ever called me, nobody ever followed up with me, nobody ever did anything, and they certainly didn't send anyone to speak to us in person. So that was one of the things that really drew me to it, was the fact that somebody from the school who actually works there came out and spoke to us. Uh, face-to-face, and in my case, it was Dr. Arthur E. Thomas, who at the time was the vice president in charge of academic affairs, and what an eloquent speaker. I believe that he attended Temple University uh, for his undergrad, uh, but he did attend an HBCU to get his further education and also to become a doctor, so he was absolutely fantastic. I thought, wow, I had never heard uh, a man speaks the way that he did, and I thought, "Wow, you know I got to get to this school <laughs> you know? so they arranged for us to come down for a tour and stay for the weekend. It was about about ten of us uh, who went down and we stayed for the weekend. A bus picked us up, brought us to the campus, and then took us back home on sunday um, so it was a great experience, and as soon as I got back I knew that that was where I wanted to be. So this is it, this is my school. I met the band director, he was telling me about what what plans they had for the band in the next coming year. He had only been at the school for a year, and at the time, he was the former band director at Florida A&M. So (laughs) that alone, I was really impressed. I was like, why didn't you come up here? He said, you know, I just was ready to make a change, and here I am. So he had been there for about a year and he talked to us and it was just a great, great experience. And actually moving into the campus and uh, how they had people, because we were freshmen and I was underage, I was only 17 years old, you know, you had to be assigned people that keep an eye on you, you know. <laughs> it's not like, uh, okay, yeah, I'm here, and, and no. If you're a minor, you know, they actually assign people to keep an eye on you and make sure you're in, you had a curfew, had to be in the dorm by 10 o'clock every night, um, all that stuff. So um, that part of it was absolutely fantastic, and it made me feel comfortable. I felt like, yeah, this is everything's going to be okay.
0: You know, I love that. And what I heard from them was legacy. Legacy. And, you know, legacy is not some flimsical word that you, you can just throw around. You can't have legacy. You can't have real legacy. You can't have true legacy. Because legacy is a gift, right? But it's one of those gifts that come with not only trial and error, but it comes with pain and suffering. The legacy of HBCUs that were created by the Freedmen's Bureau did not come easy. It came after a major war, a war that started about slavery. The the whole purpose of the war, the Civil War, was slavery. I mean, you can call it what you want. You can say that uh, it was the northern uh, states making more money with the factories and that now the southerners uh, could not uh, have a competitive edge in the marketplace but Mm -hmm. long story short the civil war was about slavery it was about Mm -hmm. degrading degrading a a man and a woman because of the tone of their skin complexion that's what it was about Mm -hmm. and so these universities paid the price. They paid the way. Okay, and they made it easy for us because they suffered, they had the pain. They toiled, they trailblazed, so that we could just walk through. They knocked those doors down. Mm-hmm. They kicked those doors in so that their children and their children's children will all have to do the one thing, and that's just walk in the right direction. So I believe, I want to talk about achievements, but before I talk about achievements, let's let's move to the next university, Howard University. I know so many people from Howard University. I love Howard. Howard (laughs) has a great name. It is one of the oldest and best-known HBCUs. It was founded in 1867. The school is a historically black college, but it accepts students of all races and genders to create a full student body of over 10,000 in the heart of Washington, D.C. Now, Howard University is a good fit for postgraduates and anyone looking to continue their academic career beyond their four-year degree because the university produces more black doctorate recipients than any other non-profit institution. I'm going to say that again. If you want to be a doctor, you want to get a great education. If you want to have a great experience, if you want to accomplish great achievements, Howard University is the place. The business school has also been ranked in the top spot of the schools for opportunities for minority students by who? Princeton Review. So you have Harvard Review and then you have Princeton Review. These are the top echelons uh, as it relates to research. Love you, Mr. My question for you is talking about achievements, talking about day-to-day duties, talking about the, di- the different gender roles that you uh, experience and were exposed to as it relates to the education that you had at HBCU. Tell us about the the un, I guess I would say the unfamiliarity of coming to an HBCU for the first time and them making you feel at home them making you feel the love them making you feel connected and the way they network and help you network throughout the campus so that you can have everything you need right there. And it was a home away from home that you felt safe about. Could you share that with us?
1: Absolutely. Well, first, I was no stranger to being in that type of environment. I had always gone to predominantly, my schools were always 98, 99% uh, black people. So what no strange to that whereas a lot of, you know, people that I met there on campus were saying, Wow, I never, you know, seen this this many black people in one spot because I grew up here, I grew up there. But for the majority of us, we you know, that that part of it was not strange. What it, what was strange was so many people who were, you know, focused, who, you know, were planning for their futures and, you know, they spoke a little bit different than what you know, I had been accustomed to from growing up to talking about things that, you know, just seem un-, you know, I'm gonna be a doctor, like you said, I'm gonna be a lawyer, I'm gonna be a this, you know, just, just unbelievable. And that part of it I found absolutely fantastic about. When I got there, I was actually a business major, and then my dad wanted me to go into pre-law, which I was getting ready to change my major again, and I said, but what I really came here to do, <laughs> was to be a broadcast journalism major. This is what I came here to do, and this is what I want to do. And they kept saying, you know, well, radio is not really a job. It's, it's just something that you do for a hobby. That's exactly what my dad said, because my dad had done radio, but only as a hobby. He was actually, uh, you know, in the military, and he had done radio just, as a hobby, so he never really took it seriously as something that you could actually do for a living. I said, well, there's so many other things other than, you know, just doing a show every day. There's other jobs in radio and I'm going to learn how to do them all. That's what I'm going to do. Um, but so many successful people in radio, uh, in television, uh, lawyers, like you said, doctors have come out of HBCUs, if you if you just sit down and make a list of, of all of them, it's thousands and thousands of people that are still walking around today who may or may not have been even the first person that's gone to college in their families, like me, I'm not the first one to go to college, I'm third generation college student, you know, uh, my grandparent, siblings, you know, they all went to college. Their grandfather was a slave, you know, but their father made sure that all his 16 kids got some kind of education. All of them didn't go to college. A majority of them did, but some went to trade school, uh, which was another thing that we did back in the day, was we'd get some kind of a trade under our belt if we didn't go to college. But a lot of them went to college, graduated. Uh, my mom's cousin, uh, t- taught at the Howard University Law School uh for many, many years. He just retired uh, just a few years ago, and he was in his 80s when he retired. Worked all those years as an attorney and was on staff at Howard University Law School for all these many, many years. And had he not gotten ill, he probably would still be working here in his 80s. <laughs> but he just... Unbelievable. Um, being a part of the band and traveling the country, performing was just remarkable. Anyone who's ever attended a football game or a basketball game from an HBCU, you know, it feels different. It's got its, got its own environment to just being in it. Uh, it's, it's a fantastic thing. You
0: know, I want you to share with us your experience being on the road with the band, because I mean, people want to hear that. People <laughs> want to hear those experiences. And I mean, I mean, don't, give us one of those experiences where you just like, I can't believe they're doing this. Just be, you know, transparent like you always are. But give us a story. Tell us a story about what it was like being in an HBCU band or band camp.
1: Well, band camp, okay, band camp is like this. Well, when you arrive, remember we uh School started sometime in September. If you're in band camp, you're at school like the following day after the Fourth of July. <laughs> I mean, you get no summer. You spend the entire summer rehearsing. And band camp was like this: we, uh, the very first day, because we all had to report. It was on a Sunday because Bandcamp actually started that Monday, but they said the campus would be open starting on Sunday, so that's when everybody started coming in. The uh, 6 a.m. in the morning, you're up, and you're on the track, because you're exercising, and you're getting loosened up, and you're running, and you're walking, you're running, and you're practicing marching, but mostly you're running and walking, and getting yourself conditioned. So that was from 6 to 8. Then we went to breakfast, from 8 until 9 30 and then 10 a.m. back on the field now this is the first rehearsal where you start going over the elements that are going to be a part of the show that went on until 12 30 then 12 30 to one thirty, we went for lunch and after lunch we'd have a break until uh four o'clock so at four o'clock you're back on the field and that's when you start putting the elements of the show together with what you know with the songs and everything and who's going to do what and we're doing this formation and we're doing that that went on until six o'clock then we had dinner
0: <laughs>
1: then you go to dinner from six until seven thirty and then we had our last rehearsal was at eight o'clock and that could go on until lord knows when and regardless of how long it went on you still have to be up five days a week at six a.m on the field and it wasn't no joke. People were coming around. It's just like on TV, banging on the doors. Get up, get up, get up. Line, the, the, the rank leaders, or whatever they, I forget what they called them at the time, would have to come around and wake everybody up. And you had to be on that field. 6 o'clock a.m., you better be on that field. They start taking attendance and you're not there, you're in big trouble. <laughs> but that was, uh, that was the typical day. And that was Monday through Friday. Then on Saturday, this is during band camp. Saturday, we had two rehearsals. We had normal workout in the morning, and we had one more rehearsal in the afternoon. Now, that Saturday afternoon rehearsal could have gone on for days, but they stopped and we had dinner, but we didn't do the uh, night, the evening uh, on Saturday. And then Sunday, we did nothing but sleep and try to recover, because starting back on Monday, we was back to the same thing, four rehearsals a day, uh, Monday through Friday, two on Saturday, and then you have uh, Sunday off. And that was band camp, and that went on usually about six to eight weeks before school even started. So by the time school started, usually that very first Saturday was the first game. <laughs> so... Everybody came to the campus, and boom, we had a game that very first Saturday. Now, remember, the football players were up there, too. So the only ones on campus was the band and the football team and the cheerleaders. That's it. Nobody else was on campus. So we had the campus to ourselves uh, for the eight weeks of band camp, and then everybody else started coming, and then school started and all that. And after school started, uh, we still had... Two rehearsals every day, and then usually on Saturday, we'd have a game. Now, if the game was out of town, we'd have to leave on Friday, Friday night usually. If it was close by, we could get there in a few hours, we'd leave early, early on Saturday. But if it was far like St. Louis or someplace or uh, someplace down south or something, we would leave uh, on Friday.
0: Oh, I love that. I love... Look, I want to <laughs> ask you next about... I want to I ask you next about potential. I, I mean, and I'm going to tell you, we're going to enjoy hearing that. Like, the listeners are going to really enjoy hearing what you said and and playing it back. I want to talk about potential. I want to talk about potential, before I do let's go to the next university. The next HBCU is Morehouse College, right? Mm. From that list of the top four. Morehouse College, yes. arguably, it is... Arguably the most famous HBCU. I don't care what anybody says it is. You can argue up and down. It is arguably the most famous HBCU. Morehouse College was the academic home of civil rights hero and legendary activist Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., as well as so many other civil rights leaders. This college... Talk about legacy, all right? And I told you, legacy is a gift that came with a lot of pain and a lot of suffering, right? Now they they had the model back then; they still have it now to produce people like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. that can go on and become a a world hero, a world icon, not just to go there for that, right? But it is also one in, of the only two HBCUs to produce Rhodes Scholars. Morehouse has an enrollment of over 2,000 students, making it the most prominent men's college in the United States. Now, the small student body allows for an impressive student-faculty ratio of 13 to 1. Though it is a small college, Morehouse and Spelman both Okay, are part of the Atlanta University Center ensuring access to wider shared resources and there's partnerships community services you name it let me go here and answer this question about potential now potential for me and we're talking about we're pulling from you know, um, you know gurus and leadership like John Maxwell, right? Um, He said that potential is one of the most wonderful words in any language, and it looks forward with optimism. It is filled with hope. It promises success. It implies fulfillment. It hits at greatness. Potential is a word based on possibilities. Now, I want to talk about possibilities. I want to talk about, right, potential. And I want to ask a question for you. What type of potential, what type of possibilities will someone experience at an HBCU, and we're talking about minorities, and HBCU, well, not even minorities, all students that attend HBCU, because like Howard University, well, they, they accept all types of students, but mm-hmm. they what type do. of possibilities, mm-hmm. right, they all do. Mm-hmm. So what type of possibilities, what type of possibilities and potentials did you experience? We're going down memory lane again, but did you experience (laughs) at HBCU?
1: One of the most important things I think any student has learned from being at HBCU is the real life stuff, where we had a saying at CSU, and if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. So all this stuff about this black school being this black school being that, that is so not true. They challenge us probably ten times more than any other school would challenge us. We were constantly reminded of who we were, constantly, and telling us how we had to be ten times smarter, ten times better you know, how we had to know 10 times more than everybody else. I mean, that's just the way it was. I mean, it was real life stuff. It wasn't no sugar like, oh, you're going to get this degree and everything's going to be wonderful. No, it was never like that. A lot of the alumni at the school had either attended that school or another HBCU. They were very, very realistic with us as far as uh, our potential and they challenged us to be something great. That's the main thing. I challenge you to be great. I dare you to be at the top of your class. I, I dare you to be somebody great in this world. You know, you would challenged a lot. And, you, and at first you think, wow, why are they so hard on me? But really, it's for your good and they didn't to told anything about what your chances are and said this is why you got to be smarter you got to be better you got to be greater than everyone else you got to be the best at what you do you got to be the smartest in your workplace you have to be this and that is so true and i want to say something else about morehouse men i don't know what they teach them or what their grooming process is but there is we have a saying in this world, you can ask a lot of sisters this, but there's a saying about Morehouse Men, it's like, there's something about a Morehouse man. You, just, you can just smell them a mile away. They got something else that nobody else has. <laughs> they really <just laughs> We had a couple of Morehouse men at Central State, and they were just different. There's something different. Like, what did they teach you guys? Something, that, some kind of cologne or something that they're selling there that nobody else can get. It's just something about them that they instill in them that makes them stand out from everyone else. And That is the truth.
0: It's <laughs> mentorship?
1: Mentorship. What was the qu- what was the question?
0: Oh. <laughs> uh, no, the, I um, mean the, the the question was yeah, go ahead.
1: Good. <laughs> no, I, I forgot the question. Thinking about the Morehouse men, but they are on something else. Like uh, Lewis Wade Sullivan is from Morehouse. Maynard Jackson, uh, Saul Williams, Spike Lee. I don't know if Spike has it. Herman Cain, uh, Samuel Jackson. Uh, who else? Who else? Julian Bond, uh, Martin Luther King's son. The Martin Luther the third was there. Uh, Major Owens Sanford Bishop um so many political so many attorneys so many uh, doctors and actors that we know bill nunn uh was a Morehouse man um who else so many i mean it's just so many and these are these are people who are above average who are like the best of the best in their field and they all with the more house i'm telling you more house men got something else that nobody else has they really do <laughs> No, I love that. Dr. Houston, he was a biology teacher at Central State. And soon as we walked in the room and looked at him, I said, you're at the Morehouse. (laughs) Because I'm not talking about looks. I'm not talking about looks. I'm talking about it's just something that they instill in them that just makes them different, that makes them kind of stand up above everybody else. It really is. It
0: I never mm-hmm. looked at them like that, but you answered the question because I asked you about potential and I asked you about possibility. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And you gave me a real-life mm-hmm. scenario. And I kind of, I don't know, I connected to mentorship. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. there's there there, there's a lot of mentorship groups up there now. You know, I mean, even I have, I have a mentorship program, 100 BM program, who uh, we, mm-hmm. you know, we, we had like, Right now, we got about 330 kids that have, you know, like, gone through the program successfully. And it it leaves a stamp on them because it's a positive youth development program. But the thing about positive youth development program, it teaches you things from managing conflict resolution. Look at Dr. Martin Luther King. He was taught how to handle conflict.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes.
0: He was taught how to handle conflict. He marks peaceably. I mean, you could say he got it from, you know, the West, the, the Eastern training from uh, Mohan Ghana. But mm-hmm. someone taught him. And so it's yeah. this type of individual achievement, individual achievement that is tied to a mindset, a mindset that is well-being, that is psychological well-being, that's positive. for for the mind and so this comes about through mentorship they have different mentorship programs they got like Big Brother Big Sister where they go around to different school districts a lot of school districts they go to are you know primarily in low SES school districts and they go in there and they help build relationships and they help empower and so these HBCUs are empowering are empowering students not just students in low-income communities, but their whole student body. Co- and these students are coming there, and these these professors, the staff, they're they're coming to them to be empowered. And this yeah. and this empowerment traces all the way back over two hundred years, almost, mm-hmm. of a legacy. Practices that they have perfected and they make teaching purposeful, they make teaching positive, and they can match teaching styles with learning styles to make a more cohesive student body. Let me ask you, well, let me pull. We're almost out of time already? Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> we're out no, we of time. All right, hold dance. on. We'll, you know, listen, we, we, we do this all the time. Would you come back on the podcast and talk more about this movement?
1: Absolutely.
0: Okay, good, because we're going we're gonna to get you back here. Um, let's me let let's bring in um, a discussion really quick on Hampton University. This is the fourth one. Hampton University is based in Hampton, Virginia. This school offers a small town experience with a good sized student body of over 4,000. The student-faculty ratio reflects both the small size of the school at 19 to 1 ratio. Although it's small, there is plenty of opportunity for high-level sports. That's right. So this is your sports this is your basketball place here. Hampton is home to both NCAA Division One and Two sports teams. Now, what was it like? What was the difference of going to a sports event that was a HBCU-sponsored event, okay, as opposed to going to another college event that had sports? activities in the band. What was the difference? Being in the band and being outside the band, on the inside working and on the outside as a spectator, what was your experience like with HCCU going to a sports event? That's my question.
1: Well the sports events are fantastic. I've been both inside a performer and also outside as a spectator. Uh, the HBCUs have fundraising games throughout the country. Uh, I forget what the one is called here. We go to the one in Indianapolis, and we have actually had one here in Columbus once, uh, where two schools come together, both their bands are there, and they're actually raising uh, money and awareness about their schools. So and they're fantastic because so many of the alumni come out and uh, I remember when uh, Tennessee State uh, came and played Central State here in Columbus. I mean, it was fantastic. You know, they bought their band. They've always had one of the best bands in the world. Even when we were in school, we thought, wow, they're almost as good as us. You know, <laughs> we actually performed at a Cincinnati Bengals, Cleveland Browns game. Um, our band did for the halftime show and it was absolutely fantastic being in a stadium that big with thousands and thousands of people looking at you but that's how good our band was in those days that we would get invited to events that were non-sports you know for our school we'd get invited to come to, uh, to, to professional bowl games and uh, uh, different events I mean we went to parades uh, that had nothing to do with school or whatsoever. They just invited us. That's how exciting the bands are. And anyone who's seen a halftime show knows that there's nothing, absolutely nothing like it. It's, it's so much fun. It's so much excitement. All the alumni walking around in their Greek shirts or sporting their university colors and so many people. And, and it wasn't just people from those two schools there. You get alumni from many different hbcus coming from all over the country to these games and they're a wonderful good time you really do it's like it's like a big family reunion because you're going to meet people for if you're in a fraternity or sorority which i am uh you're going to (laughs) meet your sisters and brothers from from other schools and it's just a big family it's a big family atmosphere and always has been i don't remember ever seeing any Nonsense
0: but, but, nina, 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 but, but yeah but but Benita, Benita, okay. Uh, you know, I'm about to pull up from you, all right? I want to I hear about the step shows. I've been waiting all night for you to tell me about these <laughs> step shows, these Greek shows. Like, that's what I want to hear. That's what we want to hear. What were the Greek shows like? What were the best ones you saw? What were the funniest ones? What was the craziest ones? We out of time, but I'll look I know they're going to listen to this.
1: Well you can see some of these step shows on social media now which is a great thing of course back when we were doing it there wasn't any social media we'd be lucky if somebody had a camera you know to come and and take pictures of us but there's nothing like it I mean it's just it's it's a show and it's just uh the pride of showing the pride of each organization and, and what they can do. I mean, they're, they're different now. It, it's a lot of differences now, but it's still the same. You know, everybody's stepping and doing their thing. It, it's fantastic. There's nothing like it. If you have a- ever seen a step show, just go on to Instagram or, or on TikTok, and you'll see plenty of them. You know, just Google HBCU step shows, Greek shows, and you'll see them. There, it's nothing like it, nothing like it.
0: <laughs> Listen, you know, you're my cousin. Mm-hmm. We out of time. What are the takeaways for tonight? Do we don't have time to do them? But what if we do, like, what would be a takeaway tonight for the listening audience? And for those students that's going to HBCU mm-hmm. or going to college, graduating, well, they just graduated high school, what would you say? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the takeaway for tonight? What should they hone in on from this discussion?
1: I would say the takeaway is if you're contemplating going to an HBCU, it'll be the best decision that you ever made. It's going to instill in you pride in yourself. Uh, it's going to give you. It's going to strengthen you like nobody else will. You're going to be cared for. And you're going to be educated the way nobody else will. You're also going to be taught, you know, about the real world and what you can expect and how you can get prepared for it. You're going to be prepared for anything. And you won't get that at any other school. Only thing you're going to get from another school, they're going to continue the class, give you some grades, and send you about your business. They're not going to prepare you and talk to you about what it's like to be an African-American here in today, in 2021, and 2022. You're not going to get that anywhere else. The only place you're going to get that is to be at an institution that has, for years, has a history of working and grooming and growing and educating African Americans and that's in HBCU
0: Listen, y'all about to follow us on Facebook, Impact Education Leadership Talk Show. Y'all about to follow us on YouTube. Y'all about to follow us on all your different platforms. We're on Anchor, we're on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Amazon, Prime. listen, Tonight was another impactful night, and in fact, that's good shit. This is episode ninety-four. I'm your host, I think three-fives on the third. Nice pounder is legendary, lovely. And my cousin, <laughs> Nina Taylor. Good night.